I wanted to um, begin this message talking about peace. The title of my message is Held in Peace. And I'd like to begin with Scripture. We're going to start with Romans 14, 17 through 19, and this will be out of the contemporary English version. God's kingdom is about pleasing God, about living in peace, and about true happiness. All this comes from the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ in this way, you will please God and will be respected by people. We should try to live at peace and help each other have a strong faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your peace. And Lord, we thank you also for the opportunities that you give us to promote peace, to be peacemakers. Lord, we just ask that you would be with us tonight. Help me in uh, my communication and open the ears and the hearts of those who hear to apply this message to their hearts and their own lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, I entitled this message, Held in Peace, uh, because the word peace lends itself to a sense of security uh, or of safety. As little children, our parents held us, and whether we have memory of it or not, we were at peace because we trusted them completely. And though we didn't have evidence to know they wouldn't drop us, <laughs> we had faith that we were safe in their arms. Well, I can remember carrying my own children in my arms. Um, we, there, we had a, I don't know, I guess you'd call it a pouch or something like that. It, it kind of, you wore it, and your little infant would sit in that pouch. And we could walk around. I think it was called a snuggly. And, but I loved wearing it, and I would carry little Philip around when he was an infant. Or um, when uh, later on, a couple years later, when Melody was born, I'd carry Melody in a little snuggly while Kyra and I pushed Philip in the stroller and... Now Philip is married, and boy, how time flies. <laughs> but um, it was just that sense of peace that, that they had being close to their parent. Just think of that word for a moment, peace. What comes to mind? How would you describe peace? What does it look like, feel like? Where would you find it? Are you imagining yourself on a sandy tropical beach in the afternoon sun, sitting under a shade of a palm tree, sipping coconut water while watching the waves gently roll in? Yeah, that sounds nice. Um, but maybe pieces uh, snuggled in a comfy chair um, beside the warmth of a crackling fire under the, under, uh, the nice light of, um, of a lamp, reading a good book in quiet serenity while the rest of the world sleeps. That's good, too. Well, peace can be imagined in a lot of different ways, pretty much as unique as there are people. But what many people don't think about is what peace isn't. And sure, peace is the absence of war, it's the absence of chaos or of fighting or calamity, but there's much more than that. A few years ago, our family enjoyed a three-day vacation in Washington, D.C., exploring the museums and monuments. Each monument has quotes chiseled into the marble from the person to whom the monument is dedicated. On the north wall of the Martin Luther King Monument, uh, one of his quotes reads, True peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. That's a good quote. Again, Dr. Martin Luther King said, True peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. 
The word justice derives from the word just, which comes from the Latin word meaning right and law. It's synonymous with righteous and impartial. If something is right, it's right for all. A law is to be followed by everyone, no exceptions. No one is exempt. And that's why when a scientific theory is proven, it's called a law. A scientific law, such as gravity, it's universal. We don't have the choice to obey gravity. <laughs> now, we know from Scripture that Jesus alone is truly righteous and that Jesus shows no partiality. We're all familiar with John 3.16, which begins, God so loved the world. No one is left out. Therefore, because God is just, impartial, and righteous, we can say that true peace is the presence of Jesus. True peace is the presence of Jesus. I've seen this on a bumper sticker, and it bears repeating. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. And for those of you listening, the first no is N-O, and the second no is K-N-O-W. So if you don't have Jesus, you don't have peace. And if you know Jesus, K-N-O-W, then you K-N-O-W, peace. So how do we know peace? Well, let's unpack those two words we looked at earlier. We know peace because Jesus is impartial. The first word is impartial. We know peace because Jesus is impartial. There is a peace that comes when we are aware of equality, when we live in a society where people are treated equally. The riots and vandalism that, that were sparked by racial protests still scar our cities, even to this day, and prove that inequality is still an issue in our nation. We just read that quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And may I just inject within this message that no true Christian really can be a racist. In the first place, all of humanity are descendants of one couple, Adam and Eve, created in the likeness and image of God. We're all imagers of God. Pastor Clanton reminded us in a past sermon that how we treat one another is how we treat God. And in the second place, and most importantly, is what we just learned, that Jesus is impartial. The fact that he's impartial proves that Jesus is not racist. It even sounds absurd to even suggest that Jesus is racist. It's, it's almost like a father hating one of his children because they have blonde hair and the other two children have brown hair. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, they're both his children. All three of them are his children. And all of us are children of God. We're all created in his image. Now, Jesus is absolutely impartial. And every Christian is to be like Jesus. Jesus can't be cut up into little pieces for you to decide which pieces you're going to be like. Again, what did Jesus say in John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Everyone who would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone. No exceptions. Listen what the Bible says. In Mark's gospel, we read, Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Isn't it good to know that Jesus doesn't play favorites? Peter said in the book of Acts, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Paul preached to the Romans, for God shows no partiality. And James wrote in his letter, for the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, 
then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Did you notice peace-loving with impartial? We heard impartiality from James, Paul, Peter, and Jesus himself. Not only do we know peace because Jesus is impartial, but we can be peace-loving ourselves. In other words, we can bring peace by being impartial, sincere, considerate, submissive, and merciful toward others. Being a Christian isn't all about having peace. It's also about promoting peace. It's not just about having peace, but promoting peace. Obviously, riots, arson, and lawlessness don't promote peace. Uh, if anything, they're a demonstration of injustice. And far be it from us to ever participate in any violent, lawless behavior. Being a Christian isn't just about having peace. We should be promoting it. And, of course, in a Christ-like manner. But let's camp out there for a moment. What does promote mean? I mean, literally, it comes from the Latin prefix pro, meaning forward, and the root, movere, meaning to move. It's the same Latin root from which we get the word motion. Therefore, to promote means to move forward. Promote means to move forward. You might remember learning about inertia way back in high school physics class. There are two types of inertia that can basically be summarized. An object at rest tends to stay at rest, and an object in motion tends to stay at motion. It's why it's so hard to stop a moving train. In fact, the greater the mass, the bigger the object, the harder it is to stop. But unfortunately, inertia can also be why it's so hard to get out of bed and go to church on Sunday morning, because an object at rest wants to stay there. Well, sure, the word peace is often synonymous with rest. But if we are to promote the kingdom of God, to move forward and to advance the kingdom of God, then it won't come by staying home from church, thinking that I got peace, just me and Jesus. It's not peace that we're supposed to have to ourselves. We're supposed to promote it to others. Listen to Matthew eleven twelve. Since the time John the Baptist came until now, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has been going forward in strength. Going forward, advancing, moving forward. When we pray as Jesus taught us, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. We're asking God to use us. When we pray, may your kingdom come, let your will be done in us. Use us. Let your kingdom move forward through us. It's not some passive, wimpy prayer that, oh God, that someone else would do it. When we pray, that's a personal prayer. Lord, let your kingdom advance and move forward through us. We opened with Romans 14, 17, 19. Let's read it again from the contemporary English version. God's kingdom. Remember, we're moving God's kingdom forward. We're advancing his kingdom. How? It's about pleasing God, about living in peace, and about true happiness. All of this comes from the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ in this way, 
you will please God and be respected by people. We should try to live at peace and help each other have a strong faith. In other words, when pleasing God, serving God, and living in peace increase, then God's kingdom is advanced. When we promote peace, we live at peace and help each other to have a strong faith. In fact, the most foundational way to promote peace and advance the kingdom of God is by the Great Commission. We like to say by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. But your persuasion has to come from how you follow uh, Christ, how close you are to Christ. That's pleasing him. We have to be connected with God if we are to be persuasive to others. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you stay joined to me and I stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit. But you cannot do anything without me. And then in verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me. I chose you and sent you, sent you out to produce fruit, the kind of fruit that will last. Again, Jesus chose us, and he sent us. He said that we need to be joined with him in order to produce fruit, but not just any kind of fruit, fruit that will last. What do you mean by that will last? Well, look at the, the metaphor that Jesus used as fruit. Jesus chose us, and he sent us to produce fruit. What's in a fruit? Seeds. One seed from an apple produces an entire tree of apples. And all of those apples have seeds of themselves that produce even more apple trees, and so on and so on. That's fruit that will last. That's inertia set in motion. And as those seeds continue to populate and produce more seeds and more apples and more trees and so on and so on, do you see that set in motion? Do you see that motion forward? Do you see that promotion of God's gospel? It's the same thing that happened in the early church. Just imagine if those 12 disciples would have just stayed in Jerusalem, all huddled together, and not really shared anything about Jesus. But no, the Holy Spirit came and dispersed them. They were everywhere sharing and preaching the good news of Christ. That was moving the kingdom forward. That was advancing the kingdom. That was sharing the good news of Christ. And we're supposed to do the same thing. Not just stay in church, not just stay home, but to share that we would have fruit produced and that fruit would remain, meaning it would perpetuate. So, ask yourself, how am I advancing the kingdom of God? How am I promoting peace? How am I promoting peace in my community, in my workplace, among my friends, or even in my own family? Think about that. So let's back up. Our question was, how do we know peace? And we began, firstly, we know peace because Jesus is impartial. And we're to be impartial with one another as well. But secondly, we know peace because Jesus is righteous. Two, we know peace because Jesus is righteous. 
How many people have cried out to God, it's not fair. Why do they get away with doing evil? Why do they get away with it? Why am I suffering when I've done nothing wrong? Why is the bad guy first and, and the good guy always last? God, you're not fair. Well, I'd rather be the last guy in heaven than the first guy in hell. But here's the thing. God isn't fair. God is just. Let me say it again. God isn't fair. He's just. God is just. You see, fair is subjective. It means different things to different people because fairness is a matter of perspective. Take, for example, a family that complains, it's not fair because it's raining on the day of their picnic. But yet on a cloudless day, a farmer complains, it's not fair that it isn't raining on his thirsty crops. See, it's a matter of perspective. God is not subjective. God is just. And we learn that the origin for the word just is derived from the Latin meaning right and law. God is just. God is right. And his laws are universal for all of us, and they're impartial, showing no favoritism to anyone. The problem comes from people doing things that are right in their own eyes. And regardless of popular opinion or cultural acceptance, if these things violate the universal law of God, then they are deemed sinful and invoke God's justice. It's not a matter of whether we think they're right or wrong. There is absolute truth. There is absolute right and wrong. Where is that found? It's in the Bible. How do we know? We read and we study our Bible. And we pray to God daily. We read his word daily. The prophet Habakkuk asked the Lord why the wicked prospered. God was using the ruthless Babylonians for his divine purpose. Because of Judah's sinfulness, many died and others were led away into captivity as slaves in Babylon. Justice was meted out to Judah who forsook God, and it seemed as though God wasn't fair. And it's safe to say things weren't being handled the way Habakkuk would have done things. But a few lessons can be drawn from this Old Testament book. We know peace because Jesus is righteous, but also... Because Jesus is righteous, we can trust him. Because Jesus is righteous, we can trust him. See, God's ways are not our ways, and yet we could trust him. It's not our job to understand how God works. Our job is to trust him. And even in the midst of chaos, we can trust that God is in control. Do you see a common theme here? Is it, is it any wonder that all three of these fill-ins were the word trust? It's trust God. Like a braid of three strands. Trust is central. If you've seen a rope, it's, it's a braid. And those three strands that are braided are a lot stronger than any one of them by themselves. And how do you make a rope? Well, you start with a center one, and then you turn the other two back and forth over it until you have a, a braided rope. Well, trust would be that center strand. Trust is central. And I hope you see now how peace and trust are intertwined. But let's not forget 
a third strand. We have trust, and we have peace, but on the other side, we have faith. We also read in Habakkuk that those who are right with God will live by faith. God is right. God is truth. God is just. All those words are connected and related to one another. Those who are right with God, who is right, who is just, will live, how? By faith. The New King James Version translates verse 4 of Habakkuk this way. The just shall live by his faith. You see how right and just are synonymous? They're describing God, but we're also supposed to be like God. So God is right, God is just, and we are to be like God in that we are to be right, we are to be just, we are to live righteously. And how do we do that? By living by faith. So that's that third strand. It's faith. And we've already seen the correlation of the words just and right. So God is just, God is right, and if we live by faith, faithfulness to God and his word, his law, we can not only experience God's peace, but we can literally rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk closes his book with these words, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. It seems paradoxical that peace can exist in the midst of chaos or that we rejoice in the Lord even when things aren't going our way. Well, let's turn to the New Testament where in 2 Thessalonians, Paul comforts the new believers who are being persecuted with the message of hope that Christ will return. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God of your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 7. And that was a comfort to them. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul encourages him, knowing of his impending death and his heavenly reward from the Lord, the righteous judge. See, because Jesus is righteous, he alone is judge. He alone is judge. Just before that, we read, because Jesus is righteous, we can trust him. And now, because Jesus is righteous, he alone is judge. Again, Paul writes to Timothy, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Jesus, the Lord, the righteous judge, 
First of all, we should find peace in the knowledge that God is the righteous judge. He judges righteously. Second of all, we should find peace in the knowledge that God is just to repay those who afflict us. We don't have to worry about justice being meted out to the wicked or concern ourselves with revenge or getting back at people who, who hurt us or speak wrongfully of us or, or treat us discriminatorily just because we're Christians. Heed the words of Paul in Romans. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. See, it's not us. We should never take revenge. We leave that up to the Lord and trust him and know that he is just. Remember, we can have peace not only by trusting God to take care of any revenge he deems necessary on our behalf, but that we should do all that we can to live in peace with everyone. Now ask yourselves, do people see me as honorable and as one who seeks to live in peace with others? Or do they see me as a vengeful person who only speaks ill of people because of what they've done? Are your social media posts more positive or negative? Do you more often post negative things about people or positive things about people? Are you known more for who you hate or with whom you disagree? Or are you known more for who you love and with whom you approve? Make every effort to live at peace with one another. And likewise, make an effort that your social media posts do more to build up and promote peace rather than tear down and promote division. We see enough of division amongst us today, and there are so many who promote division for selfish gain. But far be it from us that we would promote division because we're called to promote peace. Yes, there is injustice in the world, but God is just. And yes, there are unrighteous people in the world, but God is righteous. Remember, true peace is not the absence of injustice. True peace is the presence of God. And I'll say that again. We began with it and we'll end with it. True peace is the presence of God. So in closing, you can know the presence of God in your life by putting your trust in him and receiving by faith the forgiveness of sins and having peace, the assurance of eternity with God in heaven. There's that three-stranded braid, trust, faith, and peace interwoven together, strength in the Lord, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that we can be peacemakers. We thank you, Lord, that we recognize that we are God imagers, that we're created in the likeness and image of you. And therefore, there should be no partiality between us and anyone else 
There should be no racism. There should be no favoritism. There should be no superiority because all of us were created to be your children as your children to worship you for all eternity. Father God, may our words be words of life, be words of peace that promote peace in others, that promote the love of the Father in others so that all would be passionate followers of Christ and know you and by faith have the assurance of heaven for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, once again, uh, we remind you that you have a couple different ways that you can give, and uh, you can see on the bottom of your screen that you can give from our website or from our app um, or also text to give. So I just wanted you to be aware of that. Um, here at church, presently, we have um, people gathered around on tables, and we're going to take the next half an hour to have some discussion amongst us. So um, we just want to sign off for you tonight, and thank you for joining us. God bless you. Bye-bye.